To this very special episode of Zap to the Past, which we have dubbed Zap to the Past Retro, possibly. Um, when we started this enterprise, when we started recording these podcasts way back and we covered issue one of Zap um, and issue two, and I think a little bit of issue three, we didn't actually cover all the games in those issues. Um, at the time, we weren't really sure what we were doing and how many games we were going to cover and all that kind of stuff. So we actually only covered about two thirds of them, which means there are about 30 odd games still waiting for the critical eye of both myself and Graham to look at them that, that were actually reviewed in the main bulk of the uh, sections in Zap magazine, Zap 64. So this Easter, we've got the first of those where we've gone back and we're calling this episode Zap to the Past to the Past. And we're going to start looking at those missed games. We've got a few games here. So um, Graham, why don't you tell us all about those games that we're going to look at in this episode right now? In this special magical time traveling episode. We run around some loose girders looking for nuts to tighten in the fun-packed Rock and Bolt. We live the dreamy, lucrative life of a software publishing company owner in Software Star, have our neurons rearranged in the psychotropic Mama Llama, and smash some heads in the Tremelian Jack Attack. We also jump and climb around some caves, avoiding giant monsters in frack, drive our best jumpy vehicles around some tight pathways in up and down, fly through some tunnels on a magic carpet and bang some gongs in Master of the Lamps, before finally slowly hovering around some odd-looking landscapes on a rescue mission in the gravitationally challenged Caverns of Silac. A cute little batch of early games in there. Are they any better? There's only one way to find out. Excellent stuff. So yes, these were games we didn't look at when they were first reviewed, when we first did episode one, part one, whatever it was, back then. Um, zap to the past retro, zap to the past goes back to the past, zap to the past does something or other. We're looking at some games and the reason we're releasing this is we've done these sort of on the side so we can have a little bit of a break. We are both presently egg bound, that's chocolate egg bound because it is the time of Easter um, when we just eat our own body weight in chocolate eggs um, and that's what's going on. So in place of the normal episode, you've got this zap to the past goes back to the past episode where we're going to look at those games we didn't cover back then we hope you enjoy it and let's get into that first game that we never looked at back then now all right so for our first trip back into further into the past for stuff we missed graham rock and bolt tell us all about rock and bolt back in time we go back back (laughs) back this was an issue one of zap it was. Issue numero uno, number one, the big guy, the man. Published by Activision, the man, the big guy. The big guy did it, the man. Action <laughs> graphics the did it. Uno. The big kahuna, the boss man. <laughs> boss a man. number one. A number one. <laughs> <laughs> this was the odd price of 10.99. They just didn't know how to price things then, did they? It's like, what can uh, yeah. we charge for this? I don't know. Coded by John M. Jigulias. So, um, or Jugglers, Jugglers. It could it be Jugglers? I don't know. Musician Could was be. David Thiel here. So I'll read, just read the classic instructions. As, and as classic as they get, um, this is how it all sort of is written. Um, you presented your bid. 
dazzled the board and clinched the big contract. Now comes panic time. It's an amazing 100-story puzzle of blueprints, bolts, and beams. It'll take you all the high energy and high stepping you've got to make it to the top. So, how to be a better builder? In a word, bolts. Use them skillfully. Be mindful of their colour. Flashing green bolts are really good news. Jump on one and you're an extra man. That's something you'll always need. Something you never need is a red bolt. It means you've made an error. A girder is in the wrong place. Better retrace your steps and think your work or you'll never move up in the world. Your work is tough. It's tough and long, but you're well paid. Fact in every black bolt you rivet means money in your pocket. You can make over $170 per bolt at the top floors. That's deep pocket material, that is. Speaking of your pocketbook, how does a big fat bonus sound? They don't appear often or in great quantity, but gold bolts are as good as bonuses. Watch for them. They mean big bucks. The nuts and bolts for tall. Before you awaits the construction world's most complicated, confused mess of mind-boggling blueprints, bolts, beams, and girders. You and you alone will have to figure it out and put it all together. And you don't have all day. It's a dazzling, dizzying, incredibly exciting high-rise challenge, all 100 floors of it. You'll spin, leap, and dance your way from beam to beam, puzzle to puzzle, earn bonus wages and hire extra workers. So grab your hats and strap on your boots. You're about to discover how hot music and high energy can help fill a very tall order. That, mm. I like the instructions for that. And that, that sounds genuinely quite inter- interesting and exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Actually. it's all good. So once the game is loaded, press the joystick button to bring up the menu screen, pull the joystick back to choose level, players, and time restriction. Press the joystick button when each selection has been made on the job to move up. Down, left, or right, use the joystick in that direction. You begin each round, hop off the hydraulic lift onto a girder. To bolt down a sliding girder, position your man directly over the hole and press the joystick button to remove the bolt. Press the joystick button again. The blueprint shows you the floor plan for each screen. A floor can be from one to three screens wide. If the blueprint is blank, bolt down the girders in any arrangement you like. If the blueprint shows the placement of girders, follow the floor plan precisely. If either case, make sure you have a way back to the hydraulic lift, then jump on upwards upwards from there and then there's the different types of bolts and the different types of wages and the different bonuses and scoring the idea of it says here in the game history which is a nice little thing here rock and bolt was designed by a company called action graphics a development group made up of artists musicians programmers system engineers and game designers based in the chicago area this diversity and creative mix of talent was very much in tune with the way activision liked to design their games interesting Mm. interesting interesting Mm. this is an sort of an arcade mentality to this I like these older games, I have to say, like this. I do like that kind of that kind of view. So in Rock and Bolt, the idea is that you have to bolt down the girders that are sort of sliding around on a view um, to earn money. And it's kind of an old-fashioned arcade sort of get to the... There's 100 levels of this. But the idea is to earn as much money as you can. And obviously, you can do that by pinning them down. It's quite a puzzle because... As you're moving the girders round, obviously you've got to you've got to sometimes you've got to follow a plan that's sort of on the bottom right hand side of the screen is like a little blueprint. Sometimes there isn't. If there isn't, you just have to bolt them down in such a way that you can always get back to your lift, which lifts you to the next level. If you don't do that and you can't get back, then obviously you're you're against the clock and you're running out of time, and and so you're not going to be able to do that. And again, you you, you won't be able to do it. Quite a nice, simple mm-hmm. idea of the puzzle in there, actually. When it's the blueprint ones, some of them get quite tricky because you think you just go out and you'll pin them all down. You think, I've done it. And you'll realize that you're actually stuck on a little island somewhere or you can't get back to the elevator. You think, hang on a minute, how do I do that? And it's actually some really clever little thinking that you have to do around it. Mm-hmm. So it's a simple puzzle in that way. The main graphic itself, the main character that you play, I thought looked a bit like Wreck-It Ralph, the character Fix-It Felix of Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Um, looks yeah, a little bit like that. that. There's an old school arcade type vibe to this. Graphics aren't going to blow you away, I'll be honest, but this is an early game. Um, so it's, this isn't going to you know, knock anyone's socks off. But I like these old games because they do simple ideas in simpler times and they do them really well. They're really weirdly addictive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got, like I said, ma- you've got to match the girders to the blueprints. And that sound, and by you know bolting them down or sc- lifting the bolts up and, and doing that kind of thing, it's quite simple in the way that it plays out. 
There's no more complexity around it than that. The challenge gets to be when you've got the bigger screens of girders to map out, and it actually gets really hard to think about where they are and sort of map them out. It's really, it's quite a clever game, as a lot of these early games are. Under the hood lies an intriguing little puzzle that could slowly drive you crackers, because you really got to think about it, especially when you're against the clock. You're like, oh no, I've got to undo that one, undo that one. That's going to move there. And, uh. So I like this. I liked it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very basic looking. There's no doubt about that. But I don't care really about that for this. I accept it. It's okay. It's when, it, when it was made, it might be basic, but basic is good when it works. I don't need lots of fancy stuff. I just need to see visually quickly what I need to do. And this game is like all these early sort of games and these arcade inspired games. They're visually written so you can digest the information of what to do fast. Because it doesn't, even if you didn't have the instructions, you'd figure this out pretty quick. As soon as you ran onto yeah. the thing and bolted it down, you'd be like, right, so I've got to bolt these things down. And then the map would appear, you'd be like, oh, there's, I've got to do that. It, it's so straightforward. I, I, I loved it for that. So I like it. I think there's a clever puzzle in here, clever game, nice arcade sensibility, basic graphics, but they work. The main sprite is Fix It Felix, I'm pretty sure. I love the simple logic. The control moved really well. Everything moved okay. There's no bugs to speak of, really. There's some, you know, there's some nice scrolling oddness in it. Quite clever the way the scrolling works, if you think about it. I liked the music. It was blippy and bloppy, but it kept things burbling along. It didn't get annoying. Amazing as that may sound, it wasn't particularly, it just kind of burbles along in the background in its own little Mm -hmm. way. It reminded me of why we underestimated these early games. Now, we've just played, played a whole bunch of different games from different, you know, over the time of this podcast. And these early games, they've just got a thing. They've just got a thing and it's simplicity. They don't overcomplicate everything. They don't try that. And because of that, they really appeal to me. I like this quite a lot. I only got 61% in that issue one of Zap. I, I don't know what the basis for that was around then. I looked at the review and it seems they seem wildly enthusiastic about it. So I don't know if they'd figured out the scoring then. There's yeah. no way this would be a, you know, later down the line, if this was a budget game at 199, they'd be all over it. And with a, some, some simple touch-up of the graphics, you could have a really, really good game here. A mobile, even modern game. Not bad at all. I thought it was good. 61% I think is a bit harsh for it really, but... It's ten ninety nine. What did you think? Ten ninety nine, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, yeah another little puzzler from Activision when they were just knocking these kind of games out of the park on a regular basis. Things like Hero Park Patrol, you know, loads of them. Activision's Decathlon, they're just Ghostbusters. All these coming around at the same time. They were on a roll around. They say so you play as Louis, Louis the construction worker, bolting down all the wandering girders, and you're bopping along to the various cities that play throughout. I suppose that's the Rock and Bolt, I guess, yeah, uh, yeah. the title. As is always the way with these games, it starts off simple and then starts to introduce multiple screens and awkward patterns to get the girders to fit into. And yeah, it's good. Just I did hard. enjoy this. I did enjoy it. It was fun. It's fast as well. Little touches. I, I, I missed this back in the day. I never played it before. Not something I've ever played. Um, same, same. So, but going back, so I, I enjoyed going back to this one and finding this one. It's another Activision goodie, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, cute visuals, I thought they were all right. I thought they were quite nice. There's some nice tunes, an addictive hook, and you know, I like the little touch, like the way you spin to screw the uh, bolts in. Your whole body you spin round, and the way you take yep. longer to unscrew them, it's quite nice yep. uh, to get them out. The only thing I would say is that yes, the more intricate sort of layouts get more interesting as it goes along i just would i don't i think it may have just needed something else just to add it to the mix just to mix it up a little bit maybe something coming along unscrewing stuff and things like that to force you into sort of kicking them off or some just something i don't know what or different or bolts that were fixed i don't know if that happens so some things that were already fixed you couldn't unscrew or there were maybe you needed a different screwdriver i don't know something something just to sort of mix the the thing up because i think it, it i was playing it for a while and i i got to a point where i was like yeah okay I, I, it needs another thing added into it now 
And I think that's what I, I would have liked. That said, there's still a solid puzzler in. It's still good fun to play. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, they just they were just good, weren't they, back then? Yeah, and an interesting little fact, footnote for this. Mm-hmm. Um, the music in it fits into 1K. How good is that? Wow. That's shows you how good. well optimized it was. Yeah, 1K, one whole K of music in there. And it's quite wow. varied and quite long. So Yeah, it is. 1K. God, 1K for all that tunage. <laughs> That's crazy. There we go. Rock and Bolt. That's the first of our retro looks. Let's move on to our next one. We've got another one. And that one is Software Star. Software Star. <laughs> uh, this was £7.95. This is from the mind of Kevin Toms. Kevin Toms of Addictive. That guy emulates everything. <laughs> and probably using some of the code behind Football Manager, I'm guessing. Yeah, Mr. Simulator himself. Yeah, comes Software Star, a game where you are tasked with running a game design studio, no less, and making the directors a pre-tax profit of... <gasps> £10,000. <laughs> Doesn't seem a lot, really. It's like big money. Directors these days wouldn't get out of bed for £10,000. They'd be like, oh, get out. Anyway, this is a text. This is text based. A text based, and I use the following word with perhaps some trepidation simulation of running a games company. You're asked to put, so, you know, this is, it's basic. It's quite simple. It, there are some claims within the instructions that I'm not sure are fully realized within the actual playing of the game. As to put in your name at the start, you then have one game on the market, and that game is called Software Star, and it's gained excellent reviews, because of course it has. Surprise, surprise. You then ask to make a new game and name it. Um, so at this point, I had one called Dog Egg Soup, Run Egg Run, Sweet Candy, and Big Blasters. They were my games. What did you create? I'm interested. I'll be interested to know. Uh, that game then goes into production, and so that that sort of happens now in the background. That game is being designed in the background each month, and this is where this game you've got a year, so you've got 12 months. So this and this game is now in production and every month it sort of goes up and the way you sort of know how close this is to production is every month that goes past it goes up in review score or what it will be rated as a review so you can need to wait so anyway so when you go so when you start you're now asked to market software star which is the game that you already have out you're given the last five months productivity of your team um which ranges from basically done nothing to excellent so it's very strange and then you can choose to incentivize them with delights or discipline them with the fist i chose the fist lazy devs <laughs> get on with that bloody work you then have to choose where to focus your sales strategy the most uh, in order of preference and you can choose the north the south the east or the west now supposedly there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes here when you do this so you might want to push a where you choose is where you're going to have more more sales and it's all to do with times of the year and something like that. i didn't really find much of this so i don't know maybe it's going on in the background but i don't know whatever at that point you then get to choose whether to go for full-on hype or humble on humble honesty with your public relations and that affects a bar at the bottom uh I don't know. It didn't really seem to do much, but hey-ho. And then you need to choose how many pages of ads you want, up to a maximum of 10. And they all cost £1,000. Everything you're doing costs money as well. So PR, all this sort of stuff, buying ads, that's £1,000. And you're given basically a balance at the start of £10,000. Um, and so uh, what you and you've got a, you, you can have a £100,000 overdraft. Um, and so you know that £10,000 is taken off you immediately after the first month. And so you, know, you need to start making profit straight away. Um, which is quite hard. So once you've done all that, once you've bought your ads and you've told them to get on with the job and you've typed it up, you get the full excitement of a sales chart, <laughs> a list of crap game names, and yours 
starts to climb up it and some sails go up on the right until it's sort of like all the way you know you'll get however many you've sold and it'll tell you at the right and you've got a number however many you've got to sell to break even and if you break even then at least you'll earn some money and then you go to the next part so once that's done once the sale stops you're given the financials for the month so you see your income in and outgoing cash you see whether you've made any money or not uh, and then you are told whether you are considered a nobody or a software star in some odd ranking system that I don't know how to sort of do better. Uh, and then we start again, and then we start again. So the first thing, but before we do, we've got a couple of other options at this point. Uh, we can choose to remove a game from sales, from sale, so we can take it out. So we go, no, we don't want to sell that one anymore because it's, it's you don't want to put any money into that. So you don't want to lose any money by distribution costs and everything. So we've got, we're not selling that one anymore, so we'll take it out. Um, or you can then, and then on the next screen, you can launch the developing one. Now, if you launch it in the first month, so after a month of development, it's going to be crap. And word of mouth will get round and it won't sell very much. You kind of have to wait. Um, and that's what you're going to do. And so, you know, because uh, if you do say, so, you know, everyone's going to call you the new Melbourne house or CRL and you don't want that. Nobody wants that, um, you know, releasing shit. Uh, but if you wait too long, you know, to get the game out of the market, you may run out of cash. It's a fine line to tread. Ooh, business. Ooh, whatever it is. I thought this was pretty basic, all told. I'm not sure any of the decisions make a lot of sense. There's a lot of hoo-ha in the background, but in the um, you know in in the in the instructions, public relations, for example, in public relations, you're able to use either hype or honesty. Each one can have either a positive, negative, or zero effect on your company image. Hype is, however, more risky, and although if it works, it will increase your company image considerably. If it fails, it will give a major damaging effect on your company image. It's up to you whether to take the gamble, yada, yada. And there's just lots of this, but it's like I just saw a bar go up or down. Sometimes it went up, sometimes it went down arbitrarily as far as I could make out. I don't know. I don't think there's much behind the scenes. I think it's just a bit meh. Because what happened was, wh- whether I used hype or honesty, my rating kept going down. Then one month it went up for some reason. It took too long to develop another game because average games brought in no money. So I couldn't release it early, so I didn't have any games to release. And then y- if you release it in the summer, no one buys it anyway. So I just kept losing money. I, d- I couldn't figure out a way to actually sort of make this better. And you can only have one game in development, so then suddenly you have one game out. If you release a crap game, you get a bad rep. And then no one buys it, so they just pushing mm. bad, you know, money after thing. So you know, it, it, I don't know. As the, it's nineteen eighty five, I think you know you might have kept you happy for a bit if you played this. You might have sort of tried to sort of try your hand. The seven difficulty levels as well for some strange reason. And I tried it on beginner and got absolutely nowhere because yeah, there's, so, there's, there's so few options. There's nothing to you know. There's no there's no real options of what to do or anything. So it, it's just whatever i just kept losing money and i just got a bit bored of it the only thing i was curious about was i wonder what the loader was like I wonder if they've improved it since football manager with its legendary 20 minute loads <laughs> i bet it wasn't <laughs> i bet it wasn't i didn't think much to this i thought there was just you know, like i said there's a lot of talk and what what these things do in the instructions but when it came down to it there's about six screens and then you wait for mm-hmm. some numbers to come in and then you do it all again and you have to wait too long to try and make any money so i found this very very um boring and dull and i didn't like it all what about you the same really it was t- it was just a bit too basic for its own good and i don't, don't generally dig these kind of games felt like the sort of thing you'd play at school yeah um, like on, yeah. A, on a bbc micro so hey come on you can make your own game companies in a world where everything is entirely driven by profits hype or honesty and ad, ad revenues none of which made any difference to the games i mean you know calibos kills didn't get off the starting <laughs> blocks um, <laughs> flappy's adventures no good um, Bunyan. I just don't know about the game. Weirdly, I had a game called Bunyan that started to do quite well in the north. Um, I don't know. I just did. I just randomly. I just Bunyan did well out of the three. The, my big blasters didn't work either. Anyway, so no one like that. No sweet candy. Best one I had was Run Egg Run. 
Um, so I, just, I wasn't sure of uh, really that any of the parameters of this game really made a difference to anything. It just felt like I was just clocking up debt at a rate of knots and nobody liked my games apart from a, a short patch of you know people liking something in the north. It did ex- sort of explain how CRL came to be though. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think that this, I think this is their day job operating computer. When they, this is how they actually run things. Um, yeah. So it explains why some of their games exist, but it was a bit too basic and a bit naff. I suppose it has that novelty value, doesn't it, of its time, but it did feel like a school game, very basic. Yeah. And yeah, you're not, it's not, you know, you're not going to sit down and really go for it with this, are you? It's just that, you know, who's going to go for the long haul of this? <laughs> Well, I mean, it goes quite. It goes through quite quick, doesn't it? I was into like month five or six before I, I knew it was going. It was like, and it's only twelve months, so it's not like you've got any time to build a company. <laughs> no, no, you, you, it's not a real. You know, it's not a real anything. It's just then it's novelty value stuff. You know, it's 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 like playing with Fisher Price checkout yeah. when you're a kid. Yeah, you know, exactly. With play money with the, with the play money. It's not you know, it's not going to turn you into some kind of Tesco based entrepreneur. You're not going to open up a new. <laughs> variant of co-op off the back of the uh, and i don't think anyone who played this went on to, maybe they did go on to form big software companies you know bill gates played it or something or <laughs> jeff bezos he's like i started my career with software star i don't think that conversation's ever been up um, was that an impression then of jeff bezos i, I don't even know what, what he sounds like <laughs> probably <laughs> that not was that. More like a, that was joff bezos that's a very it's a similar guy you, you don't know him <laughs> good old joff <laughs> he comes from a different <laughs> school <laughs> yeah it's totally different um so anyway no no it's, it wasn't very good it wasn't very good at being what it was either so no no go back to the bbc i'll play i'll play adventure on the bbc model <laughs> b at school i'll carry on playing that thanks treasure yeah. island as well yeah i don't blame you there we go software star it's not really a star is it software starfish <laughs> 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 just to bring it back down to our level a bit there run egg run <laughs> Bunyan, you're doing well. I didn't even know what it was about. <laughs> no one did. Who knew? Who knew a game could be called Bunyan? Yeah, <laughs> rubbish. Here we go. All right, up next, we've got our next one. This is Mama Llama. Mama Llama. Mama Llama Ding Dong. That's what this is. Uh, this was £7.50 back then, back in the Halcyon Days 1985. This got 59%. What the f*** is going on? <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm just gonna start. <laughs> I'm just gonna start with that. Uh, yeah, the title screen. The title screen on this is enough to send you running from the room screaming. So this is obviously from Jeff Mint. I'm not, I'm not gonna. What do you, I don't. Have I got a lot to say about this? I don't know. Sees you controlling a droid, protecting the titular Mama Llama and her two baby llamas from I don't know flying bison on the first level amidst a swathe of eye bleeding effects. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's much of a story. Not that I could see. I don't know. If, no. Who cares? If there was, it certainly wasn't one that was conveyed very well. So when this loads up, before you get to the game, you get um, there's a title screen with a gerbil on it, I think, or a hamster or something, and God only knows what this is all about. It's just the it's just Jeff Minter's mind spewed onto a game, isn't it? Well, you know, whatever it is. Before you get to the game, you get some kind of level select screen. Very confusing. I don't know if I could actually do anything. I just could just press F1 to start the level I'm presently selected. I couldn't select anything else. I don't know. We've said before that Minter's games are all pretty original, and I, I mean this is no exception. <laughs> There's not much else like this. I, <laughs> I guess. Just only once again, it's 
awful to play <laughs> it's awful this was dreadful mm. so you basically you, you've got your mama llama and two baby llamas wandering around there's this psychedelic backdrop there's effects going off all over the place there's giant bison floating in and so you control this this what's called this kill droid which looks like um I know a hamburger or something just floating around and you hold down the fire button and you have to hold down the fire button because that's when you kill stuff so you hold down the fire button you try and hit these objects that are moving in to try and stop them hitting the llamas uh, and if you do they turn into love hearts i'm not quite sure what happens then they just float off and that that's kind of it you're just basically just trying to protect these things i think if you get them to a certain point you can probably open another level i never did it's too chaotic i didn't know what the hell i didn't feel like i was ever in control of anything as in i was in control of a thing but i wasn't in control of that thing because the inertia the speed of it the weight was just it was just all over the shop i was trying to drag it left right and move it up and down but it would just shoot around and sometimes it hit the bison sometimes one sometimes they would just home in sometimes they wouldn't i don't know i just didn't feel like i was actually doing anything and, and i couldn't get my head around it so my three lives were lost and it was game over. And the, again, the hamster turns up and what's he say? Ronnie something or other or something name says it's all done or other. I don't know. And then you're back to the title screen for more, for more of the same if you wanted to try it again. And I really didn't. I didn't have any idea how to progress from level to level or what the point of any of it was. I'm sure it all made sense in Jeff Minter's mind. But if those ideas and thoughts are so illogically and unclearly communicated to the player, then all you have is a mess, and that's what this felt like to me. It's a well-programmed mess. Don't get me wrong, for 1985, there's a lot going on here from a technical point of view. There's lots of whiz-bangery and crazy stuff, and obviously, you know, he can make that C64 do stuff, but it's still a mess. It's a well-programmed mess, but it's still a mess, and I don't understand it. So I'm just going to say it. I don't get it. I don't understand. It's more Minter madness. And I just didn't understand it. And I don't even know what else to say about it. What did you think? I've put ye gads as my <laughs> first. Um, this is an oral and visual challenge. Even by Minter standards, this one is hard work, isn't it? I mean, sorry, I'm sure there's a lot of thought and coding behind all of this psychedelic nonsense. But dress it up how you want. It's a load of visual chewing gum that's just straight out of unplayable. I know Minter has his fans, I get all that, and I don't dispute that the guy's given us a unique take on games for many years. Okay, however, a game for me needs to have an approach and a way in. This is visually off-putting right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. It feels like a talented home-coding hobbyist throwing everything they onto the screen and then making some parts of that move and some shoot and then wrapping it up in psychedelic mushroom-laced lickable wrapping paper and spewing it out all over the place with no discernible rationale. This is the equivalent of watching a C64 puke out colours, sounds, and graphics. It's just puke. Mm-hmm. No, no more now, right? I'm sorry. My days of patting this stuff gently onwards and saying not for me are done. This isn't very good. This is not a good game. It's not good at anything. It's a crashing screensaver, a broken graphics chip. It's an 8-bit eye strain. It's a C64 headache. It's 8-bit gastroenteritis. It's just plain naff. Sorry, Jeff. Don't like it. No. There you go. Just, no. I, I couldn't. I couldn't stand it. Sorry, I could not stand it. <laughs> no, I, no. I completely for the, agree. For the same reason, I don't trap my head in a microwave and switch it on. For those reasons, I don't want to play <laughs> you it. You probably see the same effects, and then a gerbil will yeah. pop up and say, "Game over." You're like, at a certain point, eh? I started to feel like I was at the end bit of uh, Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I, you know blinking different colours. I'm like, what am I looking at? I felt like I was trying to make contact with my daughter in Interstellar. And the one part of me thinks, do you know what? The guy's just stuck to his guns no matter what. Okay. And, you know, in a world at this time of Pac-Man and Space Invaders and things that are fairly simplistic, this comes along and it is crazy. 
But it is that. It's just crazy. Now, yeah. just slow yourself down, mate. Put a, put a little bit more thought into it. Don't try and cram so much on the screen. Don't go Homer's webpage on it yet. Just <laughs> chill. <laughs> yeah. Homer's so, webpage, that's know, a good I, idea. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't, I just don't like Jeff Minter games. And I have, so I've tried, I've really tried with the exception of one on the Atari Jaguar, which I quite liked, which was an arcade version of something that he did. Tempest. I can't what it was called. Was it Tempest. Now. Tempest. With the exception of Tempest, which which is is good. Everything else I've seen of his, where it's this psychedelic llama strewn bloody nonsense. No, 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 no. Not not for us. It's not no. for Zap to the Past. That's for sure. No. There you go, Mama Llama. No, no. <laughs> Let's do our next one. And that next one, uh, over to you, Graham. This is uh, an old one. This is Jack Attack. Yeah, Jack Attack. This is this is old. It's published by Commodore themselves. I know on a cartridge. That tells you how old it is. Like, it's like this is produced by them. The power. Only sixteen k in them cartridges, isn't there? Fifteen quid though. Fifty eight percent. It's quite pricey, really. I suppose. I don't know. Is that expensive for a cartridge back then? I don't know. Anyway, it's created by Kevin Kyler and John Trainer. It's a simple action game. This where you've got to basically crush the eight heads on each level. <laughs> yeah, basically it can do that by jumping on them or pushing blocks on them that's kind of the nature of the game each level is sort of self-contained and there are eight on each one there's eight spinning heads and on each one you have to try and find ways of crushing them if, if you have to be careful though because if they land on you they can kill you and they can also push things into you as well so they've got the same similar powers to what you have on each level there's a series of blocks and there are a series of platforms and some of the later levels and the blocks land on the platforms at the start then obviously you start and then you've got to try and figure out how to get rid of the eight heads, which is principally, that's it really. Um, mm. Not a great deal more to say about the actual game. So it's a proper throwback to the old arcade one screeners. Yes. So no simple idea done on one screen. And the complexity is that there's more, there's never any more than eight heads, but there's just more complexity in the way that the blocks are strewn about and the way you've got to be careful. Cause obviously you can't, if you stand under a block, you can get squashed or you can get squashed between them. There's also water in there as well. And if you fall in that, you die instantly. So you've got to put blocks. You can move them on top of the water and jump on top of them. And the blocks will float across the water. And there's nice, these little touches that are quite clever in their own little way for this kind of thing. Um, but it is very of its arcade heritage. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if it's based on an arcade or anything like that. I don't know enough about those early ones, but it is of an arcade genus. I don't know if it's based on a game of an arcade, but it's of that type. One screen, everything's on the screen. The gameplay is very self-explanatory and simple. Basic puzzle logic, repeat, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And you're going for scores here. So it's played it on that, that simple enough screen. As I said, the blocks are arranged at the bottom. You start on the bottom left and the head, and then the heads tumble down. You've got to squash them. It's kind of satisfying squashing them when you jump on them or squeeze them between the blocks. Um, there's very limited animation here and spikes and stuff. It's not, no one's going to win an award for the graphics on this. It's not, you're not going for big animation here. They're going for very functional. You'd be squashed by landing on things. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Any animation to that? No. Right, fair enough. But you can jump up on the blocks and sort of land on them and move them about. And there's a little bit of thought process behind how you do that, which is quite nice. You can push and pull the blocks. The controls are actually pretty straightforward on this. And that works quite well. So it's not hard to control and figure out. A lot of these early games aren't though, are they? They're just, no. you know, you could figure it out very quickly. You don't really need instructions because you can sort of figure out what you need to do very quickly, even with the additional hazards. Um, you've got three lives in the game. 
simple sprite-based graphics, basic movement and audio. Well, about as basic audio as you can get. Yeah. But a simple germ of an idea that is actually quite fun and likable. It doesn't look like much at all. But you do have options, starting points for different things. You start at the beginning of nine different levels, can't you, at the start? I think you can choose one to nine and yeah. start at different points. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, do you know how many levels there were in it in total? I don't know I if I've found I think there's 64, I read. So it's quite a lot in 16K. I mean, there's not a lot to them, but there's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So moving around is easy enough. It's oddly, un- oddly unresponsive now and again, I found. I don't know if you found that. I don't know if that's the emulator just or something, but every now and again, it just didn't do what I wanted it to do. It just, But it just didn't seem to respond very well. Mm-hmm. The jumping was a bit sort of weirdly, had a weird delay on it in some time. So it was just a bit, everything felt like it was, it was the equivalent of him going, hey, up, and then start jumping <laughs> as opposed to just jumping. Yeah. yeah. So it, started, it had that kind of vibe about it. But it, it had a weird, for me, a weird Pengo sensibility. So nothing like Pengo, but it had that crush and crumble, squash things in blocks. And that's always a good winner in a simple puzzle game like this. That The idea of doing that. Mm. Keep that idea simple, you know, squashing, splatting, jumping on things. How many of those early arcade games are based around that logic alone? Loads of them, loads of them, tons of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this would ever be released as in 1988 as budget, really. It might be, but you might get away with it. I think it's even a bit too simple for budget, really. But maybe on a free cover tape or something like that, free as a sort of a as a, a as a look back at this and, you know, this is what the games were like back then kind of thing. I don't think you're ever going to really get this into a modern context for anything. No, I don't think we ever see this. No. no. But, if, if, you know, for back in the day, very early on, it's it's a, I guess it's a game that looks like an arcade and has an interesting original idea of sorts. And I quite like that about it. At least it had that. It wasn't just another copy of another copy of another copy of something. It wasn't another Pitfall. It wasn't another Pac-Man. It wasn't another Space Invaders or Defender or whatever they were around that time. It wasn't any of those. It did have an era of originality about it. Apparently, the name of the game is derived from... Jack Trammell himself. I don't know how true that yeah, actually is, but he's well. the guy that invented Commodore. Apparently he was prone to challenging his staff quite aggressively if he felt they needed it. And that challenging of staff aggressively became known as a Jack attack, allegedly. It's in the Bagnell book as well. It mentions that. So I don't know how true it actually is, but somebody at Commodore who listens to this might very well correct us. But apparently that's why it is. So it's the name of one of his interventions, tantrums. And that's <laughs> where a Jack attack comes from. Whatever the reality of that, as much as it's very basic, I thought it was all right and fun, of its time fun, but fun nonetheless. I don't know how happy I'd have been at splashing out back then. 15 quid for a cartridge is a lot. It's quite a lot of money, that. Mm. Um, but I don't think I ever owned a cartridge game. Did you own any cartridges at all? For the, for the C64? Mm. No, I don't think my cartridge no. port was ever used. No, the same. I don't think I... I mean, obviously I had the action yeah, play you... cartridges, but I mean game cartridges. I don't think nah, I owned a single one ever. I don't think I so. did either. But did you think of it? Did you like it in its own sort of old-fashioned way? Yeah, so it's all right. It's, an, it's uh, like you said, an old Commodore cartridge from... I mean, it was released in 1983 um, originally, so which is why this is 15 quid. Oh, yeah. So I don't know what whether they've just gone back and looked at some stuff to review. I don't know, because I, I don't... Would it have got another release in 1985? It seems a bit odd. I think for that first issue of Zap, they've just gone back and looked at some, probably some games to fill the pages with, probably. But anyway, it is what it is. It's 1985. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a decent little arcade puzzler type thing. You've got to bounce on the heads of rotating sort of blobs and not get bounced on yourself or bl- crushed yourself. It's pretty simple. It's self-explanatory. You pick it up in about 10 seconds and off you go. Working out the routes that going to take is, I like the fact that uh, as the enemies bounce around the screen is interesting and the way that levels don't always play out the same based on your interactions with them. So if you're side by side, they might just turn around and go, well, they bounce off another one and which one you've killed. So it's never quite the same. Um, each time you go through a level, you kind of, you can work out ways and you could probably plan it. If I do this, they'll do that and I do this. So you plan it. But I liked it. I thought this was good. Um, it's simple, but it's not without its charms. Uh, yeah, like you said, it, it 
it, it doesn't look like anything particularly special. It's a you know, it's it's simple is as simple does. It's chunky, blocky sprites and chunky yeah, back, yeah. chunky backgrounds, but it it does what itself. I see what you mean about the responsive controls. That they're they're not always the best. It works most of the time. That this got one percent less than Marmalama is a bit of a crime for me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> because I can understand not, not a game. I mean, I get that from a technical point of view, Marmalama is sort of leagues and streets ahead of this. But from a game point of view, this is playable mm. <laughs> and and understandable, and it is better. So simple as really. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't, and you didn't find yourself humming or saying, "I must kill." The queen. After playing it, did you? I, I did not. No, uh, no, I, I didn't find myself sort of thing sat on the sat on the common outside, uh, naked with just a box on my head, um, and having no memory of how I got there. Um, you know, this didn't this didn't um, cause that. So that's oh, always a winner in my book. Yeah, I like this. This is fun. Um, I don't think I'd ever actually played it before. Had you actually played this? No, no, I hadn't. No, no, I hadn't. I did make people mention it, that people liked it and stuff. I'd never actually had a go. So it was quite interesting to go back to this. And yeah, it's all right. It's just a simple little arcade, sort of not not quite a puzzler, but not, not a blaster or anything. It's just a just a sort of one of them. You know, sort of similar in style to something like, what's the uh, Dig Dug, Mr. Do, where you're sort of pushing stuff and dropping stuff on things to crush them. It's that, in it? It's, but it's a bit it's simpler. It's all right. I enjoyed yeah. this. It was fun. Um, for what it was. Um, there we go. That's Jack Attack. Let's move on to our next one. Okay, our next one up, um, going back to issue one still, is Frack. Graham? Frack. <laughs> Tell us about Frack. Frack. Frack it. Frack, Frack it. Fracking hell. 8.95 this was. 71%. Issue one. Mm. Issue uno. Number one. The boss man. The big man. Number one. <laughs> A number one. Big guy. Um, published by State Soft. Um, developed by the B team. Creative is actually Nick Pelling. Come across Nick Pelling a few times, haven't we, on our travels? Uh, yeah, Bangkok Nights and stuff, didn't he? Yeah, so he well he created the the BBC version of this, I think, because it was a BBC model B game, BBC game. Yeah, Fire Track, right? Did he? Yeah, and then it was converted, I think, by Jason H. Perkins, Anthony Clark, and Mark Rogers, and the musician was H. Jason Perkins. Now I don't know if who did what role in what conversion or anything else. I don't have that information, but that's the information I have. So, mm-hmm. so Frack is a very early puzzle platform type game. And in it, you play a character called Trog. So the instructions say as follows. Steer our hero Trog, the cuddly caveman, through 96 reversible levels of dangers. Occasional hails of descending daggers, heat-seeking balloons, and the evil Bunyip will cause you deathly problems. But don't worry, your trusty yo-yo and off-screen action will win you points and keep you going. Scrubbly guardians, Hooter... Poglet and others will give you a hard time, and the better you are, the nastier and more unexpected the surprises in store. Frack 64, Grandmaster Challenge. Send us your name, address, high score, and code, and we will enter you in our prize draw for the top score in 84. Details on request form, so I'm guessing this is the obviously the 84 competition that they ran. Um, now, I did look into a little bit about the competition. There was some pretty cool prizes you could win, but essentially you had to send in your scores. They did quite a, quite a lot of that in those early games, didn't they? Quite interesting that they would try mm. that. So, Frack then, really, it's a very early puzzle platformer, and principally you play, it's quite large graphics on this, you play a la- large caveman, very BBC looking graphics, actually, on a C64, but they are mm. what they are, and you have to kind of navigate your way around the sort of ladders and platforms avoiding the enemies that are kind of in position and just sort of trying to navigate your way through the space to pick up keys and get get through it. If you happen to be killed by anything, you'll restart at the beginning of that level, which is gradually something that will haunt your living dreams. <laughs> yep. Because it's quite a hard game and it's really a memory game. 
in all fairness, because it's a trial and error memory game because you'll get so far, you'll hit something, you think, right, I won't do it that way again. And then you'll go down a ladder. And sometimes the objects that you need to collect little diamond things are in little awkward places. And you think, I'll go there and get it. And then you realize you can't do something else. And the jumping on it is quite a floaty jump. So that when you jump to some platforms, you it, once you've started the jump, you can't change change the you know the jump. And so sometimes you'll jump too far and you'll land on some of the big enemies. And the enemy that you came across, that I came across when I was playing, were quite big. And, you know, the, the sort of giant things on the levels are quite big. There's some things that sort of float down, daggers that aim towards you and balloons that float up. And if you hit them, it's back to the beginning you go. But there are these big things just sat on the platforms that you can yo-yo out your way. And that's principally how the game works. You start, um, it's interesting actually in the way that the screen sort of, I wouldn't say it's a scroll as such, but you don't see the whole of the level in one screen. You sort of have to, as you move, it kind of reveals itself in the window space that you have, which is quite nice. For an early game of that type, it's quite a nice idea. Um, but it does also mean that it's more trial than error, <laughs> really. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you'll you'll end up in a situation, think, oh, I'll, I'll have to not go that way. And then it's all the way back and you've got to remember the route that you took to get to that place. But, all right, that's what it is. So it is an early puzzle platformer, more of a memory test, really, I suppose. It's got good style to it. I like the big, bold characters in it. That for its time, considering some of the other games we've looked at from that issue and around that time, you know, where they've got quite small, blocky no sprite, nondescript sprites, a bit like Jack Attack and stuff like that. They're not amazing. No one's going to. You know, the ones here are actually quite well drawn for what they are. It's not a lot of animation to them, but they are quite well done. And the, no, the big things don't move around much, put it that way. But the big bold characters, it's challenging to scoot around, and it's annoying when you start again. But it's sort of if you go with the game logic of that, yeah, it's annoying. But you're also then you think, right, I won't do that again. And there's a little challenge there, and I imagine it gets really difficult to get through all those screens would be a nightmare mm, <laughs> with the amount yeah. of lives you've got. I was never a big fan of Frack. I played it a lot on the BBC many years ago, actually. A friend of mine, well, a friend of mine had a B- had a BBC and a friend of mine had an Acorn Electron and I can't remember whether I played it on which one. I, I can't remember, probably the Acorn Electron, but I couldn't honestly remember which, which it was. And then I never really played a lot of it on the C64 because it was just something that never came across. I always thought it looked a bit childlike, and I think that's kind of put me off at the time I was into C64 stuff. It always looked like it was always, you know, I always had a bit of a crucifix moment every time anyone showed me anything on the BBC, because we had them at school, <laughs> and it felt yeah. like it was, I associated BBC microcomputers with the school and schoolwork and annoying teachers that didn't know anything about programming things and stuff like that. So this is by no means a horrible game at all. It's a very old, playable still puzzler. And I like the ambition and the look and colour of it. I think it's a nice game to look at for its time. You'd need to map this out and draw it. And, you, and if you did that, and you, you would progress slowly through it and figure out a way route. And then maybe this is a lot of fun to be had in that at the time. It's certainly better than some of the other games that are around at that time as well. But would you get tired of going back to the style of time? I did, because I don't generally like that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. it is what it is for its time. It's pretty good. It got 71% in Zap in issue one. Um, and they they were quite you know they were quite happy with it. I think it's it's quite nice. It's quite nice to see a bold game on the C sixty four. And you know, I mean, it's bright. You can't mistake it anyway, can you? It's bright you know, <laughs> no. yellows and things. I quite like it um, for what it was. Very simple, but you know, maybe maybe even a little bit too simple. But it's got a killer, you know, a smashy yo yo. I thought you'd be right, your street like that. Um, but what do you it's think? A baby yo yo in it rather than the smash one. Yeah, it's right. yeah, yeah. Um, it's certainly big, bright, and bold. This platformer, but with some of the biggest and pretty well drawn sprites i've seen on the system even to this point it's you know they're very clear and, and good you know yeah, looking yeah, at them yeah. the, the, it did remind me uh, it, i'm not sure much of uh, caveman he I, I thought he he resembled a wrestler from the 80s um he looked yeah, a bit yeah maybe yeah, a that, bit. That, that, leot- that leotard he's wearing yeah it's a bit giant haystacks type of approach yeah, yeah exactly it's all very simple though 
you know, it reminded me of, it reminded me, you know, we've said about, we taught people and seen people and done that sort of thing. It feels like a My First Platformer game. It reminded me a lot of yeah, some of the games yeah. that we used to get from some of our students when they were doing their first games and making the first platformers in Unity. And they'd yeah, sort of do those yeah. platforms in the sky and you jump and you've got a thing and it's dead hard and there's no, and it, it reminded me of that. Which is no bad thing. I mean, but it's a good version of one of those. And I think, you know, for what it is at the time, it feels like an early platformer, which is exactly what it is, but with very big, very well drawn, you know, visuals, you know, for what they are. You know, you get to fire your yo yo at static enemies whilst trying to dodge balloons and collect gems. It's not bad. I, I quite enjoyed it. The music's terrible, though. The yeah. Music, I thought it's the music was awful. Time. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, we've heard better things from that time. This, I just didn't like it. Um, and some of the names, I mean, they, they go on to work for quite a lot for Gremlin stuff, wouldn't they? There's people who wait something on a spring. There's all kinds of names, but Monty on the run. Mm, yeah. It's a bit simple, like you said, but not entirely unpleasant. It's all right. I can't say as much going for it aside from the big, bold graphics. Some of the level design is quite okay, but it is, a, as you said, going back to the beginning each time, it becomes a pain in the ass quite quickly. And ni- 99 levels, did you say? Yeah, something like that. It says on the Blur. cassettes on the... Bloody hell. Um, yeah, that's going to take a while. I saw it at a few, yeah. Uh, it's going to take a while. But yeah, I mean, for what it is, for an early early platform, it, it's fine. It's fine. And, uh, you know, it's better than, better than some of the stuff we're playing recently for some of the uh, the mainline games. Put it that way. I have to say that. So frack, yeah. Certainly not a frack up. That's for sure. Mm. There we go. Let's move on to our next one. And our next one also got 71%. And this is up and down. Up and down. This is a full pricer, £9.95. Who thought that traversing mountain roads could be so violent and surprisingly fun? Mm. Well, it seems Sega did, um, as they are responsible for this port of their arcade game of the same name. Uh, I couldn't find out who ported it. I couldn't find any information on actually who made it or, any, or anything. It's just it's down as Sega, so somebody made it. Um, the only thing I could find is supposedly someone called T- Tony Vecchi Vecchi did the music, but that's all I could find. So up and down, what does it do? Up and down sees you driving your bouncy Baja buggy up a continuously scrolling forking road. Yes, yeah, so this is an arcade conversion of the game of the same name, and it's pretty much the same. You up a continuously scrolling forking road hunting down flags of various colors in order to complete the level uh, it sounds easy enough but it's not all plain driving there are other cars on the road and contact with them the slightest of contact from behind um, will make you lose one of your five lives as your car explodes in a fiery death ball in order to get past them as they are terribly slow you can jump uh, hence the up and down you can jump over them or you can land on them for bonus points squishy you know squish them underneath you mario toadstool style you know, everything was yep. if you land on something from above you instantly kill it that's Yay. the that's the arcade logic of the time really isn't it so it's a pretty simple game really the the screen constantly scrolls upwards and you, you kind of what you it's kind of it's isometric isn't it i guess it's an isometric style yeah, view, i suppose yeah, so it's isometric it but it but it's vertical scrolling isometric which is kind yeah. of an odd mix so it shouldn't all the way but it kind of does so you, the, the road splits and when you get to a junction you can turn left or right you can speed up you can slow down the controls simple enough up to speed up down to slow down left and right to change direction at a junction and fire to jump so you know it's pretty pretty simple but all that it doesn't make it any less fun the the ui at the top has the usual arcade stats you just score your high score and the number of flags left to collect they're all sort of just like character graphics so right across the top there's about i, don't know, I can't remember how many there was to collect there's about 12 or something 
12, and they're all different colors. So the thing is, these flags appear as different colors. So there'll be a red one. If you go over the red one, one of the red ones from the top will will disappear. And the, the, the road kind of repeats and the flags repeat. But if you've already collected that, then they'll just appear as white ones. And you've got to then navigate your way through the turns and tricky bits to get to the colors that you haven't already collected, which may be in an awkward bit. But you can jump. You can also jump far enough that you can leap from from one over the grass. If you go off the road, you blow up. But you can leap over the grass to the sort of road that's on the opposite side of the grass because your jump is that far enough. So you've got quite um, a lot of sort of control over how you wish to navigate going up. You can reverse as well, but should you reverse too far, as in a lot of these games, there's a car coming up behind you which will just chase you and kill you. So you can't reverse too far. And also when you reverse, you can't jump. Um, you can control the speed of your jump in the air so you can speed up and slow down to land on cars or jump over them or if you jump too far pull back so that you land on the road because if you land on the grass again you blow up and die and once you lose all five lives it's arcade lose all five lives game over job done that's it and that's it really so this just scrolls upwards it's lots of green but gray roads chunky sprites the visuals themselves they're serviceable they do a fairly good job of replicating the arcade machine. There's hills and stuff to go up as well. So it's not all flat roads. There's hills which you've got to get a good run up to. You need to be at full speed and you've got to hold down your power, you know, fire button. Uh, forward to sort of keep the revs up and get all the way up to the top of them. If not, then you'll start to you'll stop and you'll roll back down. There's some nice fake physics, but they work. You know, they they work in the in the way of that, and that can that can be a pain if there's a car coming up behind you and you're trying to you can't obviously you can't jump by going backwards. So you've got to be careful of that. And I think this does a fairly good job of replicating the arcade machine um, and the sounds. That they're very arcade circuit early eighties. They're exactly kind of what you'd expect to hear. This is all a good representation of that of the arcade game i thought as ports go i thought it's pretty good the rising challenge as you go through the levels you get more cars different things to avoid you get you get cars faster cars coming down the road towards you as well try and avoid and there's all kinds of stuff there's balloons to uh, uh, i can't remember yeah i think it's balloons on the tracks you got you can collect them for bonus points and so there's a nice progression here but it is it's hard it's simple arcade logic but it is it's fun this is a fun game and this works it's not slow. It's fast enough. It's fast as you want it to be because you can speed up and slow down. The The track is easy to see. It's easy to follow. It's easy to understand. This I used to quite like playing this in the arcade in the early 80s when I would see this. I would always have a quick go on this. It's good. And I think this is a good port of it. Nice diversion. This, I enjoyed it. What about you? Same, really. It surprised me, actually. There's a couple of things that really surprised me about it. Firstly, the uh, cover art for the box was really good mm. and it's made me wonder what went wrong sometimes when you look at how good the i know it's uh, it's got sega and bally midway and it's an arcade and all like that but the graphic design on the front cover is really good so yeah. wh- how are they getting it so right back then and how, when did it go so wrong it's just it's really strange isn't it because it's yeah. it's such a good lively cover animated car i really like it the game itself yeah of course it's simple but you know simple arcade games done well not terrible. Graphics are maybe on the blockiest side, but it's on a C64 and, I, and, I, and I, it moved fast enough. It was played like the arcade. Something quite nice about the way it all worked, actually. It felt like another game, and we've come across a few of these now, that would really lend itself to a mobile game, an endless scrolling mobile game. Very much. Well, it's, it's kind of almost like uh, Pac-Man 365 a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's that sort of thing. Or, a, you know, that, um, there's a couple of those ones that are not... I won't say crossy road, but that sort of idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That kind of idea, you know, and they work. They work well, and it works well here. Nice play, but there's a jollity about it, actually, which is something that I really like about some of those early arcades. They have a jolliness about them, jolly fun things. There's nothing deadly serious and doom and gloom about it. It's all jolly fun. I quite like it for that. So 
There's nice details in here, the way it works. The jumping thing is quite good, but it's frustrating when you jump and you realise you've jumped too far and you're like, no! Yeah. Um, yeah. So I quite liked it. It's not necessarily going to be one of those games that ever was ever remembered really well by people. No, because nobody's gone in there. Whatever happened to Up and Down? It's just one of those kind of forgotten in time games. But like a lot of those games, like Pengo and like those early sort of Sega games and things like that, they have a really nice logic that works really well. And it's just a dead easy read on the screen, which makes it easy to play. There's so much, so many lessons you can learn from watching these games that how are the game makers later down the line, many years later, not able to pick up on the threads of what they get given here and make good on them. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. I mean, how many other up and down type games are there on the C64 where you've got that kind of idea? I think other than up and down, I mean, I mean, why why hasn't that been a formula of something, you know, just to make a fun, jolly game with a little car that has to jump around? How did it go from somebody playing that to going, you know what, I'm going to make, give my regards to Broad Street. (laughs) How did, how did that happen? Money. Lots and lots of money. And Paul McCartney. Well, this is what I'm wondering. I mean, because obviously in, in those early days of game making, you know, at this particular point with the Commodore, obviously this is coming out of the US because US Gold obviously gone and picked it up because I see at the bottom of the cassette there, you've got the other great games from Sega are Tapper, Spy Hunter, uh, Book Rogers, to, for example. So mm. it's coming from that ilk of arcade conversions. You know, and Tapper's another good one as well in the 64. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. It's coming from that ilk. So I guess they, they've obviously had some talented people making them, and maybe the people who... And they've obviously got an arcade designer sat behind it. So someone's designed a game, and then these are versions of that designed game. I get all of that. But I just mm. don't get why the home hobbyists that turned bedroom coders that turned to billionaires... How do they not look at these early games and take take the lessons from them? They clearly just spell out. I mean, right, if we go right back to even that, some of those early Atari games that got converted to the C64 that we've looked oh, at God, over yeah, time. Like Hero River Raid. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, Nero, River Raid. Learn from the lessons. We've said it every time we've come across one. These are lessons in game design and game creation. And yet when we play something like Shackled, clearly that somewhere that entire strand of thinking just got erased. I find that really weird. Mm. I find it really weird. What? Where did that go? Where did it go wrong? Where? Did, what happened? I don't know. It's just really strange. Anyway, it's just it was just a thought process. It took me down. Lovely little game. Lovely little mm. game. Seventy-one percent, probably about right for that time, I guess. But I, I really enjoyed my time playing that, and it yeah, just reminded me that bright, colourful games do exist, and they can be fun and have nice, bright, colourful graphics and really nicely designed front mm-hmm. cover material. I really like that about it. It's one of my favourites, actually. I really like that as a, as a poster. A it's really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Just to say as well, later on, I'm just looking at, I didn't get this far. I mean, uh, I'd only got, because it's quite a tricky game in, in places. It's but hard, the, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, you have to jump. The, the, it's just all the, the levels are, it's just the roads. The grass goes and they're all like cliff high roads and you've got to jump over massive gaps between oh, them and stuff. How good is that? Yeah. So, that's what I mean game. by progression. So yeah, yep. up and down. I've always liked it. Like I said, always used to like playing it in the arcade. Always. I'm sure there was one in uh, Cleethorpes in Fancy fancy World. Let's move on to our next one. All right. Our next one um, is, um, this is from Activision. This is Master of the Lamps. Um, Reviewed in uh, issue one again. This was 10. Uh, You were the Master of the Lamps. (laughs) No. 
<laughs> well, it might be. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. It's got 58% back then. Um, and really, what a strange thing this is. What a strange... It's bloody weird. It's really weird. This is, like I said, it's from Activision, and they were obviously clearly in there where anything goes, period. Anything. <laughs> it's just, you know, there's just odd stuff. And there's probably more than a whiff of something, um, you know, in the air when this was dreamt up. <laughs> no, no doubt about that. The hookah pipes were going uh, wild. The bongs were binging. <laughs> so a king has died, and in his place... Genies have swarmed in and ransacked the palace. As the king was dying, he told you of the evil curse that only you, his eldest son, could vanquish. The three genies need to be destroyed by travelling to their dens and solving their seven riddles of sight and sound. Only if you solve all 21 riddles can the kingdom be saved and you can take your place upon the throne. There you go. That's the story for this. This was designed by Peter Kaminsky. And it's got music by Activision stalwart Russell Lieblick, who did loads of the music for uh, Activision games. And it sounds like it as well. And I'll say something about the music a bit later. What we have here then is a two-stage game where you fly to the genie's den on your magic carpet and then solve their puzzles in the second stage. That's it. That's really all this is. So when the game loads, you have three choices. You've got seven trials, the throne quest, and magic carpet. Seven trials is the kind of the easy mode. Um, You only have to vanquish one genie to complete the game and get the... The game over, so that's, that's all you need to do. Throne Quest, though, is the full game where you've got to vanquish all three. Um, you've got to go through all three, so you've got to uh, solve all 21 riddles. Um, and Magic Carpet Mode lets you practice the Magic Carpet sequences. Um, so those are your three options. So I'm not going to talk about the Magic Carpet sequence because it's kind of within the other two modes. So once you've chosen one of the first two game modes, the game starts with you. You're just sat by your Magic Carpet. It's kind of nice as twinkling stuff above you you're at the bottom of the screen there's your magic carpet in the middle and you just kind of got to walk over to it you just walk over to it saunt over to it um i did think you look more like a baseball player than an arabian prince i don't know if you noticed that or you thought the same i don't know um, yeah 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 yeah. it's kind yeah. of an odd visual but you know nice nicely it looked good i quite like i quite like the visuals in this anyway so you walk over to it and you climb aboard and the first stage begins you start flying on your on your magic carpet uh and what you've got to do you've got to fly the magic carpet through like a, a 3d line of diamonds so we've seen this kind of thing before in uh, that aliens game um yeah. the landing thing so what it is you get these diamonds that come out of the screen towards you and it's kind of like simulating like a 3d tunnels that you've got to sort of go down and they move mm. up and they move down they move left and move right and you've got to fly up down left to right and go through each one it's that we saw it in that other one as well what was that uh is it empire i think that had a similar thing when you were landing on the planet yeah yeah it, that's right so, it, it, so these you know this is one of those you know this is an early version one of those it's pretty fast though i yeah. have to say this is nippy look the part yeah it's this is really nice 3d effect with loads of diamonds coming at you and a really good tunnel of you know it, it's, yeah, yeah. it's simulated but it works it's nice it's, it starts off easy enough basically the, the diamonds just come at you sort of thing and may move slightly up and down you just got to sort of move up and down through them but it soon gets quite tricky as you're flying up down left right try and stay in the mm. tunnel and it, it gets quite tricky not too long though and it's you know easily doable so if you but if you miss do miss a diamond you're sent back to the beginning and you just try again um should you make it through you enter the second stage so here there are seven colored gongs at the bottom of the screen and you must select one and hit it three times by pressing up on the joystick three times like bong you sort of walk towards it this will cause one of the genies to appear at the back of the screen puffing a pipe and from from the puffing of this pipe you'll produce colored musical notes he's not the only one puffing on a pipe that's producing colored <laughs> notes at this point i think <laughs> then they all have a different tone as well and these tones match the gongs at the bottom so if you know them whatever anyway so these notes sort of fly up to the screen and they start to fall as the notes fall 
fall, you've got to hit the appropriate gong. So if the green note is falling, you've got to get, get to the green gong and smack that. That destroys that note. If the red one's falling, get to the red gong, hit that, and that'll destroy the red note, and so on and so forth. Usually two starts with, then there's three, four, and it goes up in numbers. If you don't manage to get to the gong in time and the note falls all the way through, then you're back to the start of the tunnel to try again. So you've got to get this right because otherwise you've got to fly all the way through again. And it does seem like the tunnels are a bit randomized sometimes, so I'm not sure. Um, if you do get rid of them all, then what happens? Some of the palace, because there's a cutscene at the beginning of this where the palace is destroyed, and so the palace is restored, and you move on to the next one. It's like pattern starts to build on this screen. So when you and you sort of fill the screen up with this like green pattern that sort of because it's hard to describe. If you make it through the seven stages in the seven trials, then you win. But if you play in the full throne quest uh, mode, this mixes it up. You have to do it three times. You got to you got to. Like I said, there's seven times three, so there's 21 to do. In the second seven, you do not get the tones of the notes. Uh, you have to do it the colours. In the third, you don't get the colours. You just get the tones. So it gets harder as it goes on. So you've kind of got to learn what tones are and where they're applicable to and which gong they're applicable to as you're playing through the early mode. Try and figure out in the last mode which one it is because you, they're just grey, I think. You, just, you don't get a colour. So that's what you've got to do. And that's it, really. That's it. You just repeat this sequence, repeat this process. It's a simple 3D flyer which looks great, moves fast, controls well, and a match-the-tones colours minigame. But it's pretty good. I quite enjoyed this. The presentation, I thought, was excellent. Really, really good. It's a nice cut scene at the beginning, showing the genies taking over the palace, because you hit the gong, they sort of appear, and everything goes to, goes to ruin. There's a trippy title screen, with the diamonds coming out of it, and they're faster than in the normal game as well. They're really fast and like moving. Mm. Like, there's really nice sort of visual graphical effects here and there's really good music throughout it's got that mid 80s activision style so it's all bass and squelchy sounds it's all it's all that and it's like those kind of weird american tunes so they the american sort of sort of music on the c64 always kind of had that sound a load of early epics games had this sounds mm, as well yeah, they kind yeah. of had this weird noise until sort of hubbard and that lot came along and changed the face of music and stuff these was kind of making the best some of the best tunes mm. and it was kind of and they were really catchy as well so i found myself humming them for quite a while um the controls are good they're responsive and fast they're quite nice as well and if they could have done this with a switch but they didn't if you use a joystick in port um port one um sorry port two it allows you to control the magic carpet with up and down moving you that way so if you push up it'll move the carpet up if you move down it in the 3d section if you have the joystick in port one though it allows you to control it via flight control so it inverts them so plug your joystick in the way you know in the port you want it up is down and down is up so that's quite nice they could have just had it with a, a flick of a button switch i guess but they've done it this way interesting but at least they've offered that that difference the transition from the tunnel to the throne room is really smoothly done because when you go through the last one you kind of the music kind of goes and you kind of flow down to the bottom and then the, the genie room sort of scrolls in from the top it's really smoothly done this all just all sort of happens of uh, very seamlessly and i like that i also like the way that you in the throne room you don't have to walk between the gongs so pressing fire warps you to the next one so there's seven of them in a row and you walk quite slow but if you're just pressing fire just just snap along to the next one so you can move pretty quick um, and you've got to do that, and that's quite good because you, as the as the uh, the coloured notes are falling, you want to be not wasting time walking. You just want to get to it and then press up to hit the gong. So that's that's really nice. It makes it easy to reach them, and these are all good things. And and it, I found this game a really enjoyable experience. I'd never played this before. Um, this is one I'd never really seen, never had, never got to play. So this got fifty eight percent, and they said it just got a bit repetitive. But okay, fair enough. But I, I think this should have rated higher. In comparison to some of the other stuff we've been seeing, I mean, Mama Lama, I think, got higher than this and things like that. And this is way better than that. If this is trippy done right um, for me, this was weird done, you know, well. It's a simple thing, yeah, only two parts to it, but 
this is, you know, 1985, 1984, 1985. You just repeat until done. But, you know, I think this game is really enjoyable. I really in time it's very smooth it's really well put together it's got just the right amount of trippiness to make the concept work everything ties together it's thematically consistent the music is kind of funky and cool the graphics are nice i enjoyed this um, and thought it should have scored a lot higher and we're going to look at the next one which scored higher and i have no idea why but this shows again how good activision were back then with these kind of weird concepts that kind of just do these cool cool games and i really enjoyed it what about you yeah yeah it's a strange old thing wasn't it yeah. Um, really effective graphics in that opening. Intriguing, really. Quite nice. Nicely done. I love the opening game. Showed really early promise for that kind of 3D effect in games. Pity they didn't look at that and go, well, let's make it like that in half the games that did it really badly. <laughs> um, the gong thing was just kind of, I was like, what the hell is going on here? It's weird. But still enjoyable all the same in its own simple logic. I gong three times on the green thing. The genie appeared. He emitted his notes. I sort of <laughs> ran about. And I like the way you could press fire and sort of scoot to the yeah. individual drums, which was nice. It, it played like a good little game. It's just, it is weird, but it's, you know, it's it, it, substitute the word weird for different. It's different. Mm. And that'll come, I'll, uh, that's the reason why I mentioned that is, is because of what's coming after this and a, a little bit of a discussion we could have about that. But I, I, I quite like this. It was tough going back to the beginning of that sort of through the loops bit, but there's loads of games that later down the line, that through the loops thing, I mean, that's the mainstay of Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts, isn't it? After the levels in that are racing around trying to go through little gateways and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, well, so it's pilot, not. It's a tried, like pilot, yeah. pilot wings and stuff like yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's a tried, tried and tested method. And here we are, way back in the day, Activision showing that it's doable and fast on the 64. So many games tried it later and it was all slower. I don't quite know. Maybe they should have just looked back at you know, the old Activision, take a leaf out of their book. I thought 58% was a bit harsh. I think it's a pretty good game. This graphically and colours and sounds are all really nice. And it worked and there was no bugs in it. And that's a good thing. So I liked it. Yeah, because it's, it's smooth from beginning to end. It's just nice yeah, and everything fits. Flawless and production. Good, good font and good font yeah. work and everything. Yeah, good absolutely. stuff. When Activision were on fire at this point with the developers. Yeah. I, ironically, ironically I think the, the guy who made this went on to work on, I think Peter, what's his name, uh, went on to uh, work on the Aliens game. Oh, well, there you go. Says a lot. Is, I think it, um, so I think that was one of the things that he worked on. So, and there you um, go, explains Yuti's old routine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's an interesting one. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it did. Let me just check. Yeah, P- yeah uh, Peter, good. Peter Kaminsky. Um, yeah, yeah, Aliens computer well. game. Peter um, Kaminsky. <laughs> Peter Kaminsky. He also works on uh, the Amiga version of Rocket Ranger. Ah. So there we go. Good. Here we go. That's uh, Master of Lamps. We like that one. That's fun. Fun little yeah, game. Good, good, good little so game. Let's move on to our next one. And Graham, you can tell us all about Caverns of Silac. Silac? 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 Is it? Silac? Yeah, Don't something know. like that. Uh, this was seven pounds. <laughs> seven pounds. Sixty percent. This is created by Interceptor Software, which is Andre Chalice, Claire and Siggy. I think that might be Claire. Is that Claire Chalice is her name? It as well, is, I yeah. Think? yeah. Yeah. And it's also got music by Graham Hansford. And it's got speech, um, which is credited to Don't Ask a Computer Software, but it's got this speech in it. That kind of speech. There's <laughs> a lot of it. So, yeah, it's, there is quite a lot. Some of it's understandable, some of it not so much, but it's there. It's there. So this is from Interceptor Software. Interceptor Software are an interesting bunch. So oddly, and by pure chance, they're the people that made Aquanauts, but the original Aquanaut that we talked about last, oh, right, last yeah. time. They also have a knack of making copycat games, as their list mm-hmm. of games, Crazy Kong 64, Defender 64, China Miner, yeah, <laughs> Big yeah. Top Barney, Big Ben, the Caverns of Silac being another one. Um, there's a whole bunch of games in there that are all nearly brands. You know, We've got Trolley Wally is one of theirs. Uh, Scramble 64, 
Sprite Man 64 instead of Pac-Man and Missile Command. So it goes on and on. This. So they made mm-hmm. a bit of a habit out of making copycat type games. All right. You know, we were talking 1984, aren't we here? So mm-hmm. there's a nice blurb to this. It was chronicled in the ancient books of the Torm. <laughs> it was chronicled in the ancient books of the Torm tribe of the arrival of strange aliens who would destroy the surface of their planet. Afraid that their race would be destroyed, the elders of the tribe began a project which lasted many eons. The Torms built a huge underground world which spanned the whole circumference of their planet. Within these caverns, a new, more advanced civilization was built with cities and towns, all powered by an immense power plant in the center. Eventually, humans discovered the planet. The planet was ideal for farming, so a group of farmers settled and began to farm the land, as farmers (laughs) want to do. The farmers used agricultural robots, which manipulated the land so that maximum crop production was achieved, which is what you'd do if you was a farmer with robotic Yeah, you would, hands. yeah. yeah. This method destroyed the land, as prophesied by the Torms. I don't believe that was a real Torm prophecy. And lo, the farmers <laughs> shall land with their farming robots. Oh, no. That has never happened. Um, as a last attempt to save their planet, the Torms stole the farmers' robots and placed them in protected positions within their caverns. The caverns' defences were also activated and anti-gravity mines launched in the hope that the humans would leave. The farmers needed the agricultural robots to survive, and as the next supply ship was not due for another year, they only had one option to live. Farmers converted an agricultural robot sprayer into a ship capable of carrying one person. The sprayer was also titled with a makeshift mechanism for picking up and carrying up to 10 robots. The sprayer also contained plasma guns. The farmers chose their most... (laughs) This wasn't written by an adult. (laughs) The farmers chose their most bravest and skilled pilot to enter the caverns and retrieve the robots and, if possible, destroy the Torm's power plant. Two races, each intent on destroying the other. The same story of good against bad. But in this case, who is the villain? The Torm's or the humans? You take the side of the humans and take control of the sprayer and enter the depths of the caverns. That wasn't a moral anguish for long, was it there, really? No. Who, who is the real villains? You're the human, so you've got to kill them. They are. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> God, they made that decision. No, that was, seemed, seemed oddly easy. Um, will the prophecy of the ancient books of Torm become true or not? It's already come true, though, hasn't it? Only your skill and dexterity can decide on this. NB, because the robot retrieval mechanism is so primitive, robots can only be picked up from above. All right. All what? Right. Yeah. All right. So it had that horrible speak and spell speech at the start. It's kind of of its time, you know. Some of it's quite audible in kind of the game over parts and, you know, good luck, whatever, and all that kind of thing. And it's got quite a bit of it, so all right. But it's hard on the ear after a while. It sounds mm-hmm. like when Hal is being switched off in 2001. It's not that like, when he's been, so his mind's being switched off. I could feel my mind going. It's of its time. The idea is basically here is similar to Fort Apocalypse. Similar sort of game. Yeah, yeah. You have to navigate around very tight quarters in a small spaceship, avoiding everything to collect the things that you've got to collect and get them to safety. It's hard to control and shooting is very awkward. Yep. Because um, you have to press fire and direction to shoot, which moves you at the same time. Yep. That is in a game that's requires pixel precision for movements that's a bad thing yes yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it can only be a bad thing the graphics are very basic your view such as you'd call it a view of game game <laughs> um you've got kind of a the top half of the game the playing it's a game of two halves top half is your game window which is a very badly realized sort of character font type affair with monocolor sort of towers and futuristic stuff and it goes into an underground base which is very, very similar to the way that Fort Apocalypse looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way in that is blocked by things you have to shoot and go through and navigate. Not great. Your spaceship in this is like a flying saucer. 
there's these little missiles that sort of bounce about left to right, little green things they are. So they could just get in your way, really. The whole thing that this game is that when you control your spaceship, you can control it left and right, but it's always slowly going down towards the ground. So you have to keep pushing up all the time to keep it up. So yeah. the gravity is always pulling it down. And that gradually becomes a point of annoyance to where you'll be like shouting at things. It's quite hard to control because it's just awkward because everything's quite tight quarters in this. Um, so when you do get, for example, you, when you fly across the landscape to the left, because you go too far to the right, you can't fly any further. Mm-hmm. Fly to the left and you've got to sort of shoot through the ground parts, the little blocks to get to the underground bit. It's really, there's loads of them. You can only shoot one at a time. And your bullets are quite slow in, in so you, it's not rapid fire this. Yeah. And there's loads of things to shoot. So it takes ages to shoot out these little tiny blocks. And then you'll, you'll accidentally go, a hair's whisper will touch the side <laughs> and you're dead. And you're like, oh my God so bloody annoying so it's just now nah, the graphics are like i said very basic the ford pinto of spaceships <laughs> it, it is yeah it's of its time it is basically Fort apocalypse only Fort apocalypse is way better than this the directional shooting is more often than not you're undoing if not the thing that you'll touch and kill you straight away very fiddly that ship gradually dropping is annoying as well as is more so shooting and the same direction at the same time the only music doesn't suit the game either. It's kind of a classical fugue, which is just not suited to a shoot up type game like this. But it's kind of common no, at that time no. to do that, wasn't it? They, they seem to do a lot yeah. of that. Yeah, it was. And the sound effects were really weirdly filtered half the time and really odd. Mm-hmm. And, um, they're better than the music, and, but odd. And then, of course, you've got the speech, which is just sort of emits periodically and you might understand it now and again, you might not. They got 60% this as a score. I would have given it a bit less. I don't think it's very good when you've got Fort Apocalypse doing this much better. So I think it's a poor, poor, it's an Aldi, a very early Aldi game, isn't it? An Aldi imitation game. Yeah. And not a great one at that. I didn't like this because I do like Fort Apocalypse. So, and uh, the Caverns of Silac, even with its silly story, not not the best game out at that time. No, not at all. Did you like it? No, no I didn't. Ch- Silac, by the way, is, I don't know if you know, it's just Chalice backwards. Oh, of course it is. It's Andrew Chalice, isn't it? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, uh, I didn't like this, no. Ugly visuals, horrible sound, mask an ugly game. I didn't like it. I thought it controlled horribly. I didn't like the way it's, you know, loads of speech though, which was odd. Okay. But it felt clunky to play and it just wasn't fun. I flew around for a bit. I picked some stuff up. I got blown up by a planet. Like, I didn't understand. <laughs> There's some severe scaling yeah, it issues going on. Yeah, just floats across. Yeah, just plants just floats <laughs> is, across. Is it, is, it, is it a planet or is it just a small blue I thing? Actually, on the, it must be on the same plane as you to blow you up. It's a really yeah. small planet. I, mean, I can only imagine there's really Weird. small people on it. Um, yeah, tiny little people. Yeah. Human beings the size of amoebas. <laughs> so I just thought this was better left in the past. Interestingly, I mean, Andrew Chalice w- would go on to do Into the Eagle's Nest. Yeah. So, you know, this is obviously learning his craft here, but I think this is a it, it is what it is. I mean, it's a 1985 game. It's clearly that. And it's just a ripoff of, as you said, for Apocalypse. But I think it may be, I don't know, these Interceptor games, looking at some of them, they're just awful, awful knockoff you know, rip off things, but I don't, you know, I don't think much to this. I think 60% is way too generous in the, in, like I said, Master of the Lamp's got 58. It's just not, no, I don't think the two games are even comp- comparable to say that no. this is two, two, 2% better. It's like, are you, are you having a laugh? What the hell are you thinking about? No, they were trying to figure out this scoring, though, weren't they, at this point? So. They were, but I think any... I don't understand it. Master of the Lamps is just a be- better game They didn't game give overall. it a great review in the magazine. You know? No, they, they didn't. It was derivative and not very good, so it's yeah. odd score, really, for that. So, yeah, no, I didn't like Caverns of Silac. I thought it was yeah. silly and just unplayable most of the time. And like you said, you get to a point and you'd be like, trying to navigate something and just like slightly move too much and get the... Ah. Yeah, uh, no... No, not for, not for me. No, like you said, just go play Fort Apocalypse or you know Airwolf, Airwolf which yeah. is yeah. around the same time, isn't it? Yeah. I think, what was that issue two? 
Something like that, yeah. It's Maybe early, on. isn't it? Well, it might even be issue one, even. I can't remember. Anyway, there you go. It's Cameron's still like, um, I think that's it. I think that's, you know, that's our first batch of Zap to the Past to the Past. It games. is, yeah. Zap, zap um, to the Past Past, yeah. So it's been quite interesting revisiting some of these older older titles. It has. I think with the exception of one, they've all been pretty good, actually. The, the Caverns of Silac is the only one that's been a bit bit of a bummer. Uh, I think so, yeah. Stuff like Up and Down. I don't think we like we didn't, weren't particularly fond of Marma Lama. No, I think this. He's, uh, by the way, I, I don't know if you noticed, he's got a, he's got a brand new game out. He has got Jeff a new game out, yeah, and it's yeah. also mind-bogglingly mind scrambly again. <laughs> yeah, like, of course wow. it is. It's just <laughs> another Jeff Minter game. There you go. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we, that, we, we didn't like that one, did we? Either. Yeah, you're right. So there's two out of the eight, I think. But some crackers like Master Lamps up and down. There's some really good little um, frack. Wasn't too bad. Yeah. I thought frack, frack was, was alright. Frack was what okay. It was, yeah, what it was, yeah. So uh, that's quite interesting. We've, we've still got, I think there's still another 23 of these we've still got to get through. So we are going to do more of these. We hope you did enjoy yep. this little uh, sojourn down memory lane. It's quite interesting right. to go back to some of these. Um, and I'm quite looking forward to going and seeing some of the rest. Um, yeah. uh, I'm not quite sure what they'll be. So they could be, there's, uh, I can't remember what they are. Like I said, 23 of the games that we haven't looked yeah. at. So Well, we're completists, aren't we? We'll get there, then we'll do them. We'll get there. We'll get them all out. So, uh, yeah, so... Um, we hope you enjoyed it. This is a bit different, a little bit of a short, shorter thing, but you know, just to sort mm. of cover our cover our asses that we said we'd review them all, and we're going to do it. God damn it, we're going to do it. Yeah, I might even throw and have a look and see some of those games that actually didn't get reviewed in Zap as well. What mm. I want to, what I, what I think we will do in this is the uh, Transformers game, oh, the ocean, yeah. the ocean yeah. one, because I do remember having that. I remember it not being very good, but it, they never reviewed it. So maybe so there's not some others Zap that, to the past. <laughs> so well, yeah. There's just some others that we sort of sort of missed out on going through these these mm. years. We'll, we'll see what we're yeah. doing. But um, yeah, hope you enjoyed this. We will do another one of these. Our normal our normal progression continues apace as we're trying to make our way through all the all the months, all the games. But um, this is a fun little fun little feature. So uh, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills, and I have been Graham Raddings, and you have been zapped to the past to the past. And we will do this again at some point in the future. And we hoped you liked this. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.